Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome once again to the Netflix podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Canadian Netflix. I'm Dylan Clark Moore, and I'm joined here today by a guest I've really been looking forward to speaking to. Not only is he an academic from Western University, he is also one of the hosts of Hammer Time Horror, a movie podcast that looks at the catalog of Hammer Film Productions. Welcome to Mr. Riley McDonald. Thank you for the very kind introduction. Thank you for making a great podcast. Anything cool you've been watching on Netflix recently, Riley? I wouldn't go as far as saying cool, but I have <laughs> been watching the Scream series. Okay. Uh, the MTV series that they are up uh, dating once a week. I would not describe it as being interesting or good <laughs> or enjoyable <laughs> or worthwhile. But so why? Why are you watching it? Um, that's a that's a superb question. It does have a couple people in there who are acting way above what the material requires and watching good people act in bad things is kind of a fascinating prospect so i I love to see what what really great actors do with really poor material and how they can wring pathos and and genuine emotion out of like real tripe and it's silly horror and i have a soft spot for that so uh, i guess what i'm saying is 10 out of 10 absolute recommendation well the movie that we are here to talk about this week is from the year 2011 going to apologize in advance for my Spanish. It is directed by Pedro Almodovar. We are going to be talking about the skin I live in. You can see here from my notes I made, I have an all caps good gravy, and I think that encapsulates this movie in one sentence. Good gravy. I can read that from across the table. Before we get into it, I should let you know that today's episode of the Netflix podcast is brought to you in part by UnLondon's 121 Studios, London, Ontario's premier digital media hub and co-working space. Visit 121studios.ca for more information. So the ways that Netflix describes this movie are as follows. First, when you hover over the title, it says, A surgeon obsessed with eternal beauty. For his unwitting houseguest, the madness is more than skin deep. Terrible. I would 100% not watch the movie based on that (laughs) description. They had to go cute at the end there with the the madness is more than skin deep it's always got to be a kind of pun i mean i i realize like these these netflix interns or like chained up monkeys whoever they have (laughs) writing these things are not they're not getting paid top dollar but you got to take pride in your work man (laughs) when you click on the title the description changes to a plastic surgeon seeks to overcome the grief of his late wife's disfigurement in a fiery car crash by inventing skin that's impervious to injury See, that's great. I love that. I think that's excellent. Like, it sounds interesting. It sounds creepy. It makes me want to watch the movie. So I guess I guess that guy had his coffee that day because that is a that's a great uh, description. I love it. And it doesn't give anything away. No, it doesn't. Which is very easy to do when talking about this movie. Oh boy. The genres this belongs to are thrillers, international thrillers foreign thrillers they're and, very different from our domestic thrillers absolutely and psychological thrillers do they need to make the, the differentiation between international thrillers and foreign thrillers is it like one is made in another country the other one is in a different language or well okay so there's a wall right and it's going to be built and they're going to pay for it <laughs> and i think you just need to make that differentiation very clear the moods that netflix assigns to this movie are scary and cerebral i think that's right i think it hits the i think it hits the right marks there yeah well i mean that's your job right is to give it the scary seal of approval and seeing as how you host a a horror podcast so and i mean like the netflix ceos they listen in right this is quality control for them so like (laughs) so if it's if they put in like 
funny and and like sexy we'd be like mm, mm, no change that it's funny i've reached out to netflix quite a few times both on twitter just kind of like hey pay attention to me and also sending emails to their pr department being like hey like are you cool with me doing this like right. please don't shut me down once i'm 100 <laughs> episodes deep and they have never reached out to me like they've never responded at all but once i tweeted uh when i was watching poltergeist actually right i said i feel like i'm cheating on netflix whenever i watch show me and the marketing head from show me replied back and said don't worry i won't tell anybody <laughs> so i was like come on netflix i realize you're hot shit but but come on like give me a little love here so like, next week it'll, the the podcast will be called show me the money exactly okay yeah. all right so uh before we get into the regular stuff there are a couple of warnings that i want to put out there uh one spoiler warning for this movie i don't normally bother saying that because i think that these kinds of deep dive discussions just you know you you, you get what you came for but this movie is definitely spoilable if you are the kind of person who is concerned about not knowing plot points before you watch i agree and i would say too like this is a movie where it is worth it to go in blind like the twist is one and i hate i don't like that word the twist because it's been so overused and and kind of degraded as a as a sort of narrative concept like you're Mm -hmm. all everybody's waiting for the twist like but this one's really good or it it really Works And so if, if it's something where it's going to impact your uh, enjoyment of the movie, I would say turn us off, go watch it. A pause. You yeah, can come oh, back yeah, yeah. to this. Pause, it's fine. Yeah. Pause it. Um, and I do also want to add that um, I'm not quite sure what the proper way to say this sort of thing is, but uh, just over the course of this discussion, I just want to warn that there may be some triggers because of... Uh, there is quite a lot of sexual violence that happens over the course of this movie. So I just want to get that out of the way that I imagine it's going to come up and it's going to be handled by two white men sitting in a room together. So uh, I'm we'll see how my collar already. <laughs> we'll this see is... how tastefully we're able to handle that situation. <laughs> so Riley, first question as always, why, why did you pick the skin I live in? Uh, I mean, like Almodovar has this huge rep and I'm not really familiar with it. I've only ever seen one of his movies, uh, one other of his movies, uh, 2002's Talk to Her, and I don't really remember it because I saw it in high school, and I was not equipped to understand the themes that Almodovar digs into. Had I seen this movie when I was 17, I likewise would not have understood it. You know, I wanted to do something that was, like, scary, psychologically and internationally thrilling, and and Netflix does not have, let's say it doesn't have the deepest bench when it comes to... uh, to stellar horror movies. So I thought this one would be interesting. It's one I'd never seen before by a big name director with what looked like a really great cast. And uh, I was interested to see how somebody who doesn't tend to work in the horror field, from what little I know about Almodovar, he mostly does melodramas or uh, romantic films, not quite comedies, but romantic dramas. And so to see somebody who is undeniably uh, a master director take on a horror topic okay so yeah that this is wow this is a movie that does some stuff like it's a it's challenging is the rest of this podcast just going to be us going oh oh oh, oh, boy Um, oh geez uh yeah how do we even approach this okay um (laughs) well i guess let's i mean since i've already talked about the concept of a twist Mm-hmm. One thing that I loved about this movie is the way that it tells its story, which sounds like such an asinine thing to say, but 
so w- the experience of watching this movie is you watch something happen you have a lot of questions but what you're watching doesn't feel necessarily incomplete like you're still absolutely 100 percent engaged and you're able to kind of tuck your questions in the back of your mind and then it'll do a flashback and explain what happened or it'll do some exposition and a character will explain okay and here's why that situation you just saw is actually even more horrific than you realized in the first place. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. The way the story works, and it basically has from, you know, I'm no expert on on this stuff, but like it has a very almost classical three-act structure. Like we have our first act where we're introduced to the characters. We, we kind of get a, an idea of what the stakes are. We meet Antonio Banderas, who's Dr. Robert Ledgard. We meet um, Elena oh. Anaya as Vera Cruz. And yeah, so we meet all these characters. We know something really weird is going on because Vera Cruz is locked in this room. And then the second act is basically entirely a flashback. That's also a dream sequence, which I thought was interesting. I don't know, and we can get into this a bit later, I guess, but I don't know how much we're supposed to take that big middle chunk that kind of explains the backstory of who Vera Cruz is, who Dr. Robert is, and why he's the way he is. I don't know how much we're supposed to take that as being like 100% objectively accurate because we go into those moments while they're sleeping. I read that as, as just as much dream sequence as flashback, but that takes up the entire sort of second act of the movie. And then the third act uh, kind of resolves all these plot points. And that's where we get our kind of, actually, we kind of get the twist at the end of the second act. And the third act is just sort of having all these pieces that have been put together just fall apart. That's a wretched metaphor. But uh, <laughs> I find, so so I agree with you, Dylan, that like it's, it, it, it kind of jumps around in the way it tells its story, but every time it does that, it's still keeping you really engaged into uh, uh, as to what is happening, which I think is an incredibly effective way to tell this kind of, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm trying to think, like, uh, as a genre, because what I think uh, happens is that this movie is not, this movie turns into a different kind of movie halfway through. It becomes very different from what it starts out as. Like, we, so we're introduced to Vera and Dr. Robert. We know that something is wrong. Vera looks exactly like his deceased wife, but she has skin that can't be burned. It can't be punctured by mosquito bites. It can still be injured by like knife wounds and such, but has a very tough skin. So we're no, we know this person is not Dr. Robert's wife, but that that seems to be the kind of guiding mystery. But w- what we actually find out... I think completely changes the movie's genre and... Right, yeah, okay, so for the first half, so let's say uh, during the whole introductory scene and even during, I mean, if, if we say that Act 2 is, is split up as a dream sequence, Act 2A is yes. uh, Dr. Ledgard's dream and his memories, and then the split happens when we get to vera's dreams yes which is when we, we shift the whole perspective on the flashback and should we should we keep dancing around well, I, th- we... I think we'll get we'll get to it naturally okay, okay, okay. um but that's where you know the the first half yeah I, I like how we're just playing fractions with this movie so it's got three <laughs> x and then yeah okay so the first half is a mystery of ooh, i wonder what's going on and you're trying to fit all the pieces together and it's what's behind that locked door oh that's what's behind the locked door but who's this and what's in that box and that sort of thing yeah but then once we find out, then it's all about the psychology of the characters and the tragedy too. I would say, right? Yeah, it's 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 the the tragedy. It's the thrill of the thing. It's you know trying to decide who is 
deserving of pity, who's deserving of rage, who's deserving of ire. You know, yeah. it's it's all about what you're feeling at that point. You're totally right. It's it's a different ride in the second half of the movie, and it's it's exhilarating to and watch. I, I think having something that changes not just like uh, narrative stakes, but also like g- generic gears, and to do so without it feeling like a total tonal shift. I think is really quite skillful. Can I ask you a question? Please. In the first half of this movie, because I know you did an episode on Ex Machina not too long ago. Yes. Were okay, you yes. thinking so she many... was a robot? I wasn't thinking she was a robot, but I definitely, definitely had, uh, was it Ava? Ava, yeah. Ava. I had mad Ava vibes off of Vera's character. I was positive, and I should say, I got Ex Machina totally wrong, too. I thought the guy was the robot the whole time, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so oh, I'm, that you thought that uh, Donald Gleason's character was the robot. Oh, you thought he was the yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, Everybody's a robot in that movie. <laughs> it's fine. I'm uh, a robot. I was positive that this was some sort of AI science fiction. Kind. I mean, this is a science. He does grow it is, skin, yeah. but it's it's a much more visceral kind of science fiction than artificial intelligence. This is. I would say it's science fiction in the sense like, and and actually maybe that could be a question to ask you. Would you call this a science fiction movie? I would a bit. <laughs> right. You know, th- this is very much a, a combination of different different genres, right? There are science fiction aspects to it, which make you feel that this world is a bit different than mm-hmm. the world that I currently live in, but that doesn't make it any less plausible or scary. Right. It's just that, I mean, the skin is actually pretty much a non-factor. Like the fact that yeah. the skin is super tough is almost a red herring. It, it, it kind of goes away. It seems like it's going to build to something, but it doesn't really. It's more about... It's a thematic thing for sure, but but as a, as a plot point, you definitely think like, oh, well, you know, this house is going to burn down and she's going to escape because... She doesn't. Yeah, have she's going to rise from she's the flames. Terminator Daener- style. Daenerys or... Targaryen. Right. Um, Much better. Uh, although she was, Amelia Clark was in Terminator, so it all connects. There we go. Not the original, obviously. Um, I guess it does play in the fact that uh, Vera is unsuccessful anytime she tries to kill herself. Like she tries to give herself paper cuts through her wrists to yeah. to kill herself to try to escape. Oh, it was paper cuts. Oh, it wasn't it from the book. But she's, isn't it? I mean, I think you're right, and I think that's way more interesting. But at the very beginning, she's shearing the um, dress with something. I don't know what it was, but she was cu- like cutting through her dress with with some kind of thing. Okay. Um, but I think uh, the book, like cutting her wrists and and her her breasts, yeah. her breasts, which at first doesn't really make a lot of sense, and then you sort of figure out later on why. Like it doesn't go commented on at all. There's no, no. Dr. Robert doesn't mention it. Vera doesn't mention like, okay, you, you, she cut her wrist. She's trying to kill herself. That makes sense. But she also has these scratches right above her breasts. And and, and the camera focuses on it because we we see Dr. Robert like. Yeah, there's a very long, it, it, yeah, very long shot, shot just just right there on her chest. And you're kind of wondering like, why why are you doing like, director, you, you pervin on your actress <laughs> here? Is that what's going on? And then it's just another thing that kind of it's it's a seed that gets planted in the back of your mind that yeah. afterwards once you find out everything because you've already forgotten you're not worried about well you know I've, I've learned plot point c and d now but what what about the boobs what about the boobs <laughs> and then afterwards once we once we find out what happens is uh is uh yeah it's an entirely different thing and you realize why vera would be you know attacking her own body her well i mean can you say her yeah well um Okay, so I mean, I'm not trying to dance around it for the sake of avoiding talking about it, but 
I am because I tried to explain this movie to somebody and it's and there are so many points that you have to get through first you can't just say oh yeah it turns out that it's a dude because there's so much more to it than that yeah it's if you were to break it down to its most basic element the twist is dude looks like and also is a lady uh that really robs it of its impact on the viewer and on its impact to the story thematically and narratively. So do we just sort of like, do we have to mechanically go through the plot to, to sort of get to like why this matters so much? Because I think like, because I think you do need to explain like, okay, why is Vera or Vicente uh, as he is like um oh man this is it's right a- that's the thing is because and i think it's very important to to choose our pronouns carefully here mm-hmm. and to and to think about what we're saying because the entire way through the movie we are told this is vera this is vera this is vera until until like and the moment of truth doesn't get told to us like yeah. you kind of just like no no wait a minute no fucking way no they're oh god no that's what's been going on this whole time and your brain just kind of hurts yeah. because you don't want that to be what's happening. But as it turns out is I'm going to try to do this as concisely as possible. Vera, who's the experiment that Dr. Robert has been experimenting on this whole time, putting this skin on, it's eventually revealed that this is actually a missing boy from town. Uh, Vicente? Vicente. Vicente. Yeah. I think his name is sorry. To yeah, our, apologies. Sorry to our Spanish listeners. No, so uh, this this missing boy Vicente, who at, we've already had revealed, uh, was involved in a date rape of the good doctor's daughter, daughter Norma, Norma, who is. It should also be said. See, this is the thing you need to. There, it's it's not even just that Norma was raped, but also Norma is from her childhood psychologically damaged because she witnesses her mother Gal kill herself gal and robert are married but robert <laughs> see, you're, you're, see that's the thing you have to take it so many steps back if you want to understand robert's every bit of it yeah brother whose name i can't remember so i'm going to call him the tiger zeka zeka uh he dresses i'm not just making up a, a fun nickname <laughs> for this guy he he spends the entire movie we see him dressed as a tiger uh because it is um carnival in spain at the time uh zeka who is Robert's half-brother, uh, begins a relationship with Gal, Robert's wife. They run off together. They get in a car accident that injures Zeka and and horrifically injures and burns Gal and leaves her basically comatose for months. When she wakes up, she gets she sees what she looks like and kills herself. Norma witnesses this, and this leaves her basically traumatized. And then Norma, several years later, while attending a wedding is raped by Vicente. Right, but on on top of all of that... Oh, man, what did I forget? Norma has been pretty much institutionalized. She's witnessed the the death of her mother. um, And it's later revealed after... And this is one of those parts where I was talking about how you you get... You're absolutely engaged with what's going on on screen, and then you learn more of the horror of it afterwards, is after the date rape scene with... I, I feel like when you say date rape, you almost like disqualify the rapiness of it and i know oh, i don't like the word rapiness either uh anyway um so after that scene we find out that norma's been institutionalized this whole time and this is one of the kind of rare moments of socialization where right dr robert has you know allowed her out of the institution out on the doctor's recommendations like hey let's get her out and he's proud of her for 
mingling and everything. So, you know, she's already in this very tenuous, right. Has this very tenuous grasp on quote unquote normal life. Mm -hmm. And then this, this horrible thing happens to her. And that then leads to her losing her, her grasp on everything. Yeah. And, and then kill, killing herself, killing herself as in well. the same method as her mother. Yes. So all of this is scrambling around inside of Dr. Robert's brain and the way that he chooses to take that out on the rapist on Vicente is he Vicente. Yes, that's right. Vicente. Vicente. We're he, doing it Italian, not Spanish. <laughs> is yeah, he decides to experiment on He kidnaps him, he like uh attacks him on the highway and tranquilize and like uh knocks him out with a tranquilizer dart. And then very slowly, like he keeps him imprisoned for some time. And then very, until his sort of family stops looking for him, believing him to be dead. And then, yeah, Dr. Robert, who is a, a, a world-renowned plastic surgeon and his sort of cohorts from this institution, this very sort of exclusive and, and powerful private, inst- uh, private uh, clinic, perform a sex change operation on Vicente. Right, I'm going to stop you there for a second because I don't necessarily think that it's he's waiting for the family to stop looking for him. Okay. I think that he maybe doesn't know what he's planning on doing. Oh. Because when he does commit to performing the sex change operation, that's the day that Norma dies, or that's the day of Norma's funeral. Oh, so right. So I don't, I don't know if he's been planning on doing this the whole time because I, we're, we're getting, I mean, I'm going to wade into some really dangerous territory here for a minute, but at the point of kidnapping... He's angry because his his beloved daughter has been re-traumatized from, from this rape. Right. But I think for him, it hits another level when she kills herself. I think, I think you know what, you're absolutely right. Because I think up until then, like, Norma is still his kind of link to a normal life. I think it's, it's not even just her uh, suicide. It's also, we have a scene after her, after the attack on her, where she's back in the hospital and he comes to see her and she's so terrified of him and men in general, specifically him because, uh, specifically Dr. Robert, because when she wakes up, she's knocked unconscious during the attack. And when she wakes up, it's her father holding her because he's found her and it causes her to have this panic attack. And she's sort of her, from what we understand, her memories of the event are completely sort of mixed up. And she's sort of associating Dr. Robert and, and kind of, and, and all, men kind of with this attack and so she's so scared of being around men that she just kind of hides herself in the closet until he has to go away and i think it's yeah i think it's at that point when he sees just how damaged it's not a great word i realize how injured his daughters become from the uh, attack and then a couple days later that she kills herself over this i think you're right that that's when he goes from just being angry without any sort of direction to having this very cold and calculating plan yeah i don't know what he was planning on doing or if he had a plan because he is just kind of tied up in a he's got vicente tied up in a cave Mm -hmm. (laughs) essentially right and then he occasionally remembers to give him water to keep him alive okay so let's let's get into that part then i mean there's no question that there are gender politics at play with with the doctor's decision to punish vicente by turning him into a woman yes. at least biologically by giving him the the vaginoplasty and uh and building him breasts and uh and really encouraging him to to fem- to feminize you know giving him makeup and we must have done something to the voice to to try yeah. to build this vera 
out of everything. So I don't think that I've spent enough time thinking about this or reading about this to have really landed on on what I think. But I mean, do you think that Dr. Robert did this because the ultimate punishment to a man would be to make them into a woman? Or was it more about making Vicente as vulnerable as possible? Or was it about building a new wife for himself or was it just about the experiment at first like where did this or you know was it about robbing him of his masculinity and saying you know if this is the damage you're going to do with a penis now you're not allowed to have one anymore like because it's a very murky dark place to go to try to understand where where dr robert is going because at first when he's just kind of running vicente off the road you're like yeah man like run him down yeah like he 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 attacked your family he attacked your daughter and i don't necessarily want to say like you know fathers protecting their daughter like that whole dynamic isn't always the most perfect relationship and i think that you know there are some problems at play with our expectations of how fathers treat their daughters but there's a righteousness there yeah and then it gets then it gets weird i i mean i think you're totally right i think it would say like it's not just one thing. There's a whole complex of reasons as to why Dr. Robert chooses this insane course of action um, as sort of retribution against Vicente. And I think a reason why, you know, we're we're kind of speculating on what are his motives is that Antonio Banderas's performance is so icy and removed. Like he doesn't he he plays it so cold so calculating he doesn't give anything away there's no speech the closest he gets is when he's like shortly after he's done this operation to vicente vicente asks him like why are you doing this to me and he comes in and says like you were the one who attacked my daughter and she just killed herself even then that's not really he doesn't explain like what the consequences are for this he just kind of gives vicente who was forgotten about this uh this thing he's done he kind of fills him in on the history and that's it and so i think the reason like why this is such a an engrossing movie with an underline under gross is that uh (laughs) the person who's doing this we don't have any access to so yeah he's he's doing this as sort of retribution against vicente he's doing this because uh, he's not just making any old woman. He has rebuilt Vicente to explicitly look like his wife, Gal. And we're told that Vera looks almost identical to Gal. Um, so he's bringing back his wife from the dead. But I think, too, and I think this goes back to what you said earlier, I don't think Dr. Robert really knows what he's doing. Because in the opening act, he seems extremely uncomfortable around Vera. Like he watches her on the TV, but uh, in that in that first interaction we have with him, he comes into the room, and she says to him, or he says to him, "This is going to get confusing." I guess for the sake of brevity, we'll just say she for Vera, so it's not getting super confusing. Well, I guess yeah. I mean, contextually, we understand her to be female at that point. So. Right. Uh, when he comes in to talk to Vera, Vera says, "Like you like what you see." referring to her body and and he seems like weirded out and he kind of goes away and he he doesn't seem to have this sort of he he spends a lot of the first half an hour speculating over whether or not he should kill vera because the experiment in growing the skin seems to be at an end it's only after vera is attacked by zeka that they seem to begin a sexual relationship 
At, at least that was my interpretation. I got the I, I was under the impression that prior to that attack, they had uh, Robert and Vera haven't really had intercourse with one another. No, I don't think that they have. I think that that scene that we see where she's starting to kind of seduce him through the camera, that's we we know at that point that Vera is a captive. Yes, we know that Vera is not allowed to leave, and we know that. Dr. Robert is uncomfortable, but I I read that as him being uncomfortable with his feelings towards her because he is looking on her and and very fascinated by her, and it seems like possibly lusting after her. So I think pretty much right away, though, it's clear that Vera is trying to seduce her captor in order to find a means to escape. But I mean, I think, like again, what makes this movie so compelling is the sense that so Dr. Robert has captured this person who's done like terrible damage to his family and he remakes Vicente into an image of his wife. He's kind of, I don't know, this this might be totally off base and, and completely wrongheaded, but he's almost like like taking that anger and re-sexual, or like putting that anger into a sexual valence. Like he's taking this person who who sort of hurt his family and then putting him in a position where that anger is taken out on him in a sexual manner. Uh, I mean, like, obviously, like, uh, so Zeka comes back in the present day because he's, like, a criminal and, and he's robbed a bank or something and he's trying to hide out. And then he discovers Vera in this room and he, uh, like, breaks in and then uh, and then rapes her uh, just before um, Dr. Robert comes back and kills Zeka. Uh, but... It seems like Dr. Robert has sort of done this experiment with the explicit intent, yeah, of making that violence and, and anger take on a sexual tone. If that is what he's doing, I, I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head earlier that he doesn't really know what he's doing. Right. I think that with him having this this cold exterior, he's very capable at starting things on a path. But he also has a lot of issues that he has no idea how to resolve. So he ends up trying to resolve them all in the same place. That's I think that's a, an, a fantastic way of thinking about it. And perhaps one of the reasons why we're so like herky jerky. Uh, <laughs> well, um, is that I think that the characters don't know what they're doing. They're, they're doing these things without any sort of understanding of why they're doing them. Like Zeka, who is this like, yeah, who's this criminal who's just kind of acting out of pure impulse like he shows up i mean he's he's clearly planned to to rob the house or so, or do something because he wants dr robert to fix his face like has a scar on his face presumably from the car accident he got into that injured gal but so he's got this kind of calculation but then when he discovers vera he instantly changes his plans to just like to take out or to yeah to sexually assault her uh, Robert, yeah, he's so angry and despondent over what has happened to his family that he has this person in Vicente that he can remold, but he doesn't know what to do with this experiment. He doesn't know whether to end it by killing Vicente as his uh, maid slash mom, which that's kind of a that's kind of a jerky thing to do to your mom. I guess he doesn't know. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't I don't know if he knows or if this is just something that uh, Marilla is confessing to vera right in confidence yeah. there's there's another little bit of this because the movie is also extremely in that i guess el motivarian sense very melodramatic like we get this the the maid who has worked for dr robert all his life is his biological mother 
yeah, I don't think he does know that because he grew up, she gave him away to this family that she worked for. And so he grew up with this very wealthy family. Well, the, I mean, it was the father. Right. His, yes. his father was, yes. was the, you know, the, the patriarch of the household. Right, so. right. I really do think that he doesn't know what he's doing. And like I said, that he's trying to solve all of his problems in one place because he has this person who he's decided to punish by turning into, by biologically turning him into a woman, which may have originally started off being, well, if you, if you took my daughter from me, I'm going to make you into another daughter. Mm. But then eventually the time comes to put a face to it. Right. And that's the part that Marilla has issues with. You know, yes. when, when, when she and her uh, Christopher Nolan-esque Alfred Pennyworth <laughs> concern you know is willing to kind of confront robert with with about as much success as alfred does in the dark knight right it's like yeah just kind of like very hesitantly register i mean i guess if you're alfred and you're working for 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 a crazy man who dresses up in a bat suit and drives around a tank like you don't want to set him off right and if if your boss is your son who has imprisoned a man in a room and has given him an unwanted sex change tread lightly yeah <laughs> they you know he reached that point where okay i'm gonna put a face on vicente so mm-hmm. now it's now it's her face and right. then all of a sudden he's introduced this whole instead of it being a daughter instead of it just being a punishment now it's this person who's giving him all this this, this mental and emotional feedback of this right. is the person who i loved but this isn't just the person i love this is the person i loved and who betrayed me and also this is the face that i was trying to put back on my wife who i was trying to win back after uh, or who i was trying to put back together like i'm finally succeeding at the main experiment that i failed at in the first place it's it's trying to put it's trying to solve all of these issues in one place and ending up in a position of extreme vulnerability once he allows himself to trust this thrice victim of his scientific attacks of his sexual attacks of his of everything that he's done to this person he's all of a sudden leaving the door open and he says like like the first thing we get of robert is he's giving a seminar uh and he says he in a way that kind of spells out the theme of the movie like you i i didn't write the quote down directly but like you need to have a face to have an identity. He's talking about how like his great success as a medical doctor has been giving facial transplants to burn victims. Um, and he says like, it's not enough that these people survived because they don't have an identity. It's only with a face that you have an identity. And that is really, I think, setting the theme of the movie. What's interesting about that is it's it's not so much who has the face as to who's looking at the face, right? Because it's certainly Vicente, Vera, there's this obviously, you know, like traumatic psychological break between these two personae. But it's it's Robert and it's Zeka when he shows up um, and sees Vera on the TV screens, on the surveillance camera screens and says like, that's Gal, like this woman he knew from his illicit affair with her. It's it's these, and it's very specifically, I think, these two major male characters. Marilla, to some extent, is involved with this, but not to the degree that Zeka or Robert are. They are the ones who are imputing an identity to Vera. And it's Vera, it's it's notable, I think, too, to, to follow along this theme a little bit more, that Vera does seem to become Vera up until 
she sees the newspaper photograph of Vicente. And it's when she sees that photograph toward the end of the movie, one of Robert's partners comes by and he says, like, look, I know what you did. Like, I, I helped you do this sex change operation on this boy who's in the newspaper is being missing. This person, this Vera, is Vicente. I know this. Um, but it's only when Vera gets to look at her own face of Vicente that I think she kind of knows what to do. I think that that sort of like ambivalence of feeling that Robert has is also with Vera. Maybe, again, maybe I'm totally wrong about this. Well, the thing is that I th- the very last thing that happens in this movie is Vicente in the body of Vera. Yes. Goes home to the, or at least to the shop and talks to his mother and says, I'm Vicente. Yeah, those are the last words. Those are the last words of the whole movie. So I... I my read on that then like i i believe that he has been vicente this whole time okay and that everything else has been coping or defense mechanisms okay um like uh not not quite to the point of stockholm syndrome because i don't think that vicente has actual affection for dr robert right i think that he very much like and possibly spoiler for ex machina but i think that it very much follows the same path as eva where because vera slash vicente has nothing but time to watch dr robert and to to kind of understand everything and you know develop starts to learn yoga so that she has even more time to stop and think and her reaction to dr robert the first thing we see her do is to try to try to seduce him in order to gain a means of escape right. or, or in order to gain some kind of power back and then to try to kill herself again in order to try and gain power back or to punish dr robert for for whatever it is that's going on and then we see Vera do the exact same thing when uh, when Zeka comes along because she kind of at that point plays along. Like Zeka thinks that this is Gal. Zeka yes. thinks that this is somebody who, you know, for us as the audience at that point, we don't know anything about Zeka and Gal's relationship. We're just witnessing a rape. Mm-hmm. But Zeka seems super familiar with her. So for him, it's almost like he thinks that this is like weird role play rough sex. Right. Except he knows she's dead, so that's. But maybe he thinks that you know she's been put back together. I'm I'm not sure what's going on there. I'm not. <laughs> I want to be careful with that one for sure. But uh, Vera goes along with it and is like, "Oh well, you know, it's oh, it's it's always been too big. It's always been, you know, I oh, you've always you know that kind of right that kind of thing where she is is playing along right. in order to survive right right in order to kind of maneuver the path of least resistance that's most likely to lead to survival and escape. I mean, yes, totally. I I think so a question then that comes up for me is um and maybe it's clear and maybe I just missed it, but is there a bit of a gap between Zeka being killed because after Zeka is killed by Dr. Robert, he and uh Vera no, start it's sleeping the together. Same night. Yeah, no, that's, that's the same night and disgusting. that's super gross. <gasps> He I was like so mad at him for that. They they get into bed and Dr. Robert tries to initiate sex and Vera's like, no, dude, it's I'm been still like three ki- hours. But she says, I'm still kind of freaked out about the tiger. I'm like, yeah, Dr. What are you doing? But my question is, because um, in the third act of the movie, we see Vera and uh, Robert like, almost very coupley and Robert like lets her leave the compound and go shopping out in public with Marila as a, a sort of watcher. But is that 
is there supposed to be a time elapse there? I think that was, it seemed pretty close. It's not the next day, right? I think it's pretty close because oh, okay. I I believe that like they even make reference to hey last night before everything happened do you remember what we talked about and we talked about you trusting me and that oh, sort of thing okay. and that ex- I think that kind of explains why they were in bed together and they were they were close together and everything because also for Dr. Robert what I'm realizing now why he would be initiating this sex and everything because he's just visually seen even though Gal is dead, he's just seen Gal and Zeka having sex. Like the thing that probably tore his world apart when those two ran off and started sleeping together, right? Right. So he's probably just like fierce with like a possessive lust, I guess, or whatever power claiming. Again, thing. I think it's this 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 really it it makes it very difficult and probably doesn't make for amazing radio to to listen to uh, the two of us try and fumble through it but i think what the movie is very actively trying to perform is exactly what you're saying Dylan is this sort of like complex of feelings that just get built up in a person so they don't really know what they're going to be doing and and as viewers i think it makes it like why this works as a thriller is that we don't know what the characters are going to do next. Like even for for all of Robert's like cool and calculating demeanor because he's this icy scientist who's committed to these like uh, very unethical experiments, obviously even setting aside the main plot of this movie and what he does to Vicente, like we're told right from the beginning that Robert is this kind of amoral scientist who has no qualms with operating on human beings and doing like really shady stuff in the name of science i realize this is radio you can't see me doing scare quotes but i am doing them so even in spite of all of that robert is is just as as unpredictable and and emotional as all the other as zeka as marila as vera um as as um norma all these other characters are possessed with this sort of emotional overdetermination almost where they're they're feeling anger and lust and fright and uh rage all at once and you don't know which one's gonna spill out first or how they're gonna act from it and so yeah i think personally to get this back to something that i think we started maybe 15 minutes ago i do think that vera is feeling those same things like i i'm not sure it's all just survival i think she is starting to be broken down a bit and and starting to inhabit this identity and i think it's it's seeing that face and that that face to which an identity is delivered by the viewer, not so much by the wearer, that kind of snaps her back a little bit, that like reignites that kind of uh, uh, connection to this other identity to Vicente. Right. Yeah, I I see it as Vicente gets kidnapped and gets put in this metaphorical dark tunnel Mm -hmm. and just realizes that he can move forward. And he can take steps and he can kind of figure out how to move through this dark tunnel. I think that he's always aware of the fact that he is Vicente. Right. I don't okay. think he ever completely becomes Vera. I think it just kind of slaps him in the face like this this bright light on this door off to the side in the tunnel that, oh my God, like all of a sudden, this thing that I've been hiding at the very least, this 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 true self, all of a sudden, there's this opportunity that I've successfully maneuvered my way into right you know this this picture really just makes that instead of it just being this 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 lingering plot it's now an immediate call to action that now is the time that we do it now is the time that we we get out of here and we reclaim our own identity and i think to 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 augment your point to kind of 
shift away from what I was just arguing there. I think something that backs up your your point is is the yoga we see throughout the movie Vera performing yoga, um, and uh, we later find out that she's she's watching a TV uh, program on yoga, and the person says again in a very like thesis statement way like you need to find a safe you need to find a place of refuge this the space that can be yourself it reminded me a lot of um uh dreadful movie v for vendetta slash good comic book v for vendetta when evie is put in prison and she finds the note from the prisoner in the cell beside her and and she's and the note says like there's this one inch of space and no matter what they do to you they can never take it away from you i think that is uh, the yoga that Vera we see her constantly doing it in the movie is that sort of same thing that performance of finding that location and it's always said in spatial terms the one inch in V for Vendetta and then this it's finding that place of refuge that cannot be assailed and it's interesting that because because Vera is locked in this room for most of this movie um, Zeka finds the room and is trying to get in and is trying to find the key and stuff like that. And the whole time he's doing that, Vera is just sitting there in a in a like lotus pose trying to concentrate, trying to sort of like rather than like hiding necessarily or or trying to arm herself or trying to escape or whatever, she is in this sort of pose trying to kind of maintain this safe space. It's the only way I can think of phrasing. It's not a great phrase, but so I think, yeah, okay, I, I can, I can, I, I've successfully argued myself into seeing your point too, but I don't think anybody's emotional states or motives or anything in this movie are clear cut. Aside from maybe Zeka, who we know is just like a, a narcissistic opportunist and is just looking for any kind of uh, outlet the whole time. So gross. Yeah. Oh, he's terrifying. Uh, that said, he probably has... And I don't think I really wrote it down, but there's one another thing this movie does well is like, as I'm sure if you've listened to uh, listened to this podcast this far, it sounds like a pretty dark and depressing movie. And for the most part, it is. But there are a couple moments of of genuine comedy. Um, and Zeka has one. He, he has a moment where he's talking to Marilia and and he says something and it's super funny. But there are a couple moments like that that crop up in this movie that of like of intentional humor they make the the drama and the horror of this movie more effective. And it also, I think, shows Almodovar's um, skill at kind of genre hopping. Yeah, there's that one scene at the dress shop when the, the father and son Oh, yeah, in, when the father and son and they're, are they're, selling. <laughs> they're selling the, the wife's clothes the wife's because clothes. She, le- she periodically leaves the husband. And so he says, like, the next time she leaves, she won't have, she'll have to come back naked. And that's, like, that's the only reason that scene is in this that movie is to break second. the tension. Right. But then even the, the shop clerk is like, oh, well, we don't normally we, sell fat clothes. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is happening here? Yeah, it's a, that's a um, a question for you then. Sure. Because I just said this in, in when I was listing off the names, or when I was listing off the genres, I said horror. Would you consider this to be a horror movie? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I would put it in the... Uh, I mean, the horror slash thriller genre, but there's also, when I say body horror, I don't mean in like a David Cronenberg kind right. of way, like, you know, nobody's pulling guns out of their own chests or anything like that. And that's why I give this movie zero out of 10. <laughs> but it does, you know, there is this very real horror about having all of the markers of familiarity of your own body either torn away or added to and being unrecognizable in your own body and having to 
I mean, at the end of the day, no matter how much Vicente identifies as male, he's now within the body of a female person and has to figure out some way to navigate through that either by accepting it. And, you know, I, I don't even know if this would be a similar experience to what like a trans person would feel, you know, feeling like you're the wrong gender in a different body because he actually used to be the gender that he associates with. And now it's this other thing, but he's also started to figure out how to use this femininity and to walk like a woman. And you don't know how much of it is, is what he's become or how much of it is for play or not for play, but for, for a defense mechanism to fit in, to try to, you know, seduce Robert and to, to get into a position where, Vicente could escape and and try to at least find a safe space in order to figure these things out for himself because he's certainly not in a position to reach ideal mental health trapped inside of a a cell as his as as the walls of that cell amply show they are covered in what starts you know just your usual jail sort of like vertical line counting the days but then starting to write each individual date like day month year out and then just whole walls repeating uh, a phrase. I think it's, I breathe, I know I breathe, just repeated over and over again. And then some kind of creepy pictures of like naked women bodies with like birdhouse on top of their heads. Like it's a, yeah, this is not a conducive space toward uh, mental health for sure. Right. The thing that we haven't touched on yet is if you were to take those scenes in isolation, then Vicente is a victim. Absolutely. Right. But we also have to navigate the fact that the whole reason that he's in that situation in the first place is because he raped somebody. And he's also struggling with not even really knowing for sure. That or at what- least saying that. Like, he, he tells Robert, like, when Robert tells him, like, uh, you know, you attacked my daughter. and Now my daughter is dead because of what you did. Vicente's defense... He says, like, I don't remember. I was on a lot of drugs at the time. Well, he says, I don't know that it was rape. Or oh, at least yes, at least sorry. that's what the subtitles say. Yes. Which I think is, is a pretty important distinction because he knows that he initiated sex with her. Right. And to watch that scene, it's certainly, it's very tough to know. And I know that regardless of, you know, where somebody plants a flag on on this whole thing, half the world is going to be upset with you for how you say it. But... As far as Vicente is concerned, he is on drugs at this party. He's found a girl who seems to be interested in going off into the woods with him where everybody's having sex. Like three feet from each other. Right. That's another kind of funny scene is like it cuts to like the woods and it's just couples like almost beside each other. Yeah, it's like this all like having sex. Midsummer Night's Dream orgy <laughs> or something. It's like, a, yeah, it's like a makeout point, but there's no cars. Right. But yeah, so he he initiates sex and she you know, she she shows these signs on her face and I I'm, I'm apparently just going to narrate my own confusion. Um, you know, she she does these things with her face, the actress, I mean, where she's kind of spaced out and where she doesn't seem to know what's going on. And it should be said the the Norma says cuz Vicente asks her like, "Are you high?" cuz he's taken a whole bunch of pills. Norma is on a ton of like medication, but right. psychiatric medication. So she says like what she's on at that moment. So she is like yeah, she's also in a completely different way. She is also on a ton of 
different drugs. Right. And she, and she even, I, whoa, I laughed. That's disgusting. Um, when, when Vicente asks her, what are you on? And she lists off all of these medications that she's on. And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty fucked up too. And she's like, what, what? And he's like, yeah, I'm really high. And she's like, oh, you're high. Okay. And you, we learn later that Norma has no idea what this situation was. Yeah. She's going along for it. And then I, I believe at least my, my reading on it and absolutely I'm more than willing to be raked over the coals for this is that it seems to begin as what he believes is consensual sex. Right. And then she gets upset while it's happening, screams for it to stop. And once that happens, that's when it, it is clearly rape. I'm not saying he didn't rape her. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm saying at all. But for for him, he's messed up on drugs, has that happen. And he, I mean, he slaps her and he, he knocks her out. So when he says, I don't even know if it was rape to Dr. Robert, I think he means that. Right. And I mean, right now in the world right now, and I mean, this is going to come out mid-June uh, 2016. You know, there's a very big case right now about the the... The champion swimmer, oh, the Stanford, uh, right in Stanford, who, yeah, Brock who, Turner. who raped uh, a, another student, and you know, there's all this, all this thing about, you know, should he be punished for, should he be punished for for an act that only took 20 minutes? Should they take, you know, the rest of his his young 20 year old, like all that gross stuff? Right. That's not the conversation I necessarily want to get into. No, no. But it's also there's a temptation to look at what the scales are like. Right. And then to kind of back away and say, I don't want anything to do with this. I'm glad it's a movie and I'm not actually responsible for applying judgment to to any of this. Yeah. Because, you know, he's certainly not innocent. Does he deserve to have that happen to him? That's a different question that I'm not answering. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any, there's no way you can answer that without, without it being a, a huge mess. And, and I, I think what the movie is trying to do is... Before we find out anything about who Vera is, who Vicente is, what this whole crazy uh, plot is, which happens about two thirds of the way through this movie, we are made to structurally, we are meant to sympathize almost immediately with Vera. She's the first character we, or I, no, we see Marilia first as she puts the um, food in the dumbwaiter, but like we're we're immediately introduced to. Um, Vera before we meet Dr. Robert we see her we follow her we see her being assaulted by Zeka so the movie is structured in such a way that we sympathize with Vera right away and what I think is really again I'm trying to and maybe this is this is like craven of me but I'm trying to talk about this in a structural sense without any kind of moral like we should ultimately feel sympathy for um, Vera slash Vicente or we should ultimately not what I think structurally the movie is doing that is very interesting and wants us to kind of think through these questions, even if we don't come to, you know, clear cut, hard and fast answers, is that in the first part, we are meant to sympathize with Vera. I would say so. Would you agree with that? Definitely. We have no reason not to. And then we meet Vicente and he's like, even bef- like even before... 
we see what happens with Norma. Like he's he's kind of this gross lecher who's <laughs> who's hitting on his coworker, even though she's she's gay. Uh, and he's just kind of like a gross dude. And then we see him like, yeah, he assaults Norma and then flees. So he certainly he does know he's done something wrong because as soon as he knocks Vera out, like he gets up and he hops on his motorcycle and he rides off into the night. Like he knows he's done something wrong, but then oh, he just before we get it. Sure. Yeah. But he also, I don't know if this is to protect himself or to protect her, her oh, he decency d- he where he dresses her, her. But as he's dressing her, he keeps copping a feel. He keeps grabbing her breast right. as he's putting her back together. It's so I, awful. I totally read that as being like he wants to because he's again he's fleeing into the night he wants to make this look like she just like passed out and hit her head and there was no like attack so anyways we're when we meet vicente we're instantly supposed to not sympathize with him uh and and that just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and then when when the twist god that's so bad it's like we're doing a chubby checker podcast when we when we find out when the revelation occurs yes that's much i love this i love this uh much classier language when when the scales fall from our eyes and the epiphany is revealed that that dr robert is transforming and it's it's a it's a slow process we should say and that's another part of the horror of this movie is like it's not just one day vicente wakes up as vera this thing happens over months but when we find out that this is happening to vicente slash vera you're meant to sympathize. It's it's almost like you're meant to you're meant to sympathize with with this character again, and so it's almost like you get these like three slices of what we find out is the same person, but that you're you're meant to have almost totally different dispositions. Toward. Right, exactly. You're meant to be sympathetic to Vera. Yeah. You're meant to despise Vicente. Yes. And then when we realize that it's all part of the same continuum. All it's doing is it's making everything, it's this blur now. And and that's why I think structurally, because, you know, you can do the two-part thing. You can start with a character, like, again, a Game of Thrones reference. You can start out hating Jamie Lannister because you're meant to hate Jamie Lannister. And then eventually, as you meet much worse characters and as he becomes better, you start sympathizing with him. That's a pretty straightforward, you know, development. But this movie, it doesn't just do the one, or you start out with a sympathetic character and you end up hating them by the end. Uh, this movie, you have a character you sympathize with, and then you meet another character who you really dislike, and then you find out it's the same character in such a way that you're meant to, again, I think structurally the movie asks of you to sympathize with this character again. And so I find that sort of like tripartite structuring to be really interesting. I don't know what to do with it. And again, I don't have any, yeah, I don't know what you're supposed to ultimately feel right. and that makes the the structure of the movie so interesting we kind of touched already on on temporarily how this thing works you know present six years ago present and if it was told in chronological order we wouldn't be going on that ride yeah it would be much more clear in its ambiguity right if that makes sense that it would just kind of be like we go from non-sympathetic to sympathetic and things get hazy in the middle. I think that's one of the reasons why this movie succeeds as well as it does. I think that sort of playing with narrative and temporality is because you're right. Yeah. If we, if we were told this story in a chronological sense, then we would have almost a clear cut, like there would still be a complexity to it, but we would be met. We would, we would start out hating Vicente and we would come to sympathize with Vera 
And that's much less interesting. So I find that by moving the temporality around, you get a richer and more ethically, what's the word? Uh, a, a movie that asks of you to have an ethical response. It makes me think of another deeply troubling movie, uh, Gaspar Noé's 2002 Irreversible, which is told uh, is told in sort of reverse chronological order. Everything happens backwards. So we start at the end and we move to the beginning. And that's a movie that also is, is predicated around sexual violence. And I think, and Roger Ebert had a really great review of the movie where he says, like, this is ultimately a very moral movie, even though it's horrifically violent and, and upsetting, because by showing you the effects first and then bringing you back to the causes, it's making you think differently about how these things happen. And I think what The Skin I Live In is trying to do is ultimately a similar project. By breaking up the temporality, by starting in the present, moving to the past, and then going back into the present, it is asking of its audience to, to be aware of the story that is being told and how it's being told and to sort of consider these characters and these events in a way that is not simply something happened and therefore something needs to happen, like uh, a bad thing happened and so there needs to be a sort of counteracting bad thing to happen in, in response. I think by opening with a very sympathetic Vera and then sort of seeing the, the backstory of this character really changes our position toward her and toward Dr. Robert in ways that a, 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 a linear narrative could never approach. Uh, just, I mean, one little thing to uh, to add on, I guess, to my big um, my big speech there is that there's something that gets repeated throughout the movie. I think it's Marilia who says it: is stories repeat themselves when they're talking about what this is. This is in the first little bit of the movie when they're talking about what do we do with Vera? Do we kill her? Do we let her out into the world like we don't know what to do and and dr robert is saying like uh i can start something new here and marilia says no stories repeat themselves um and i think again that that uh, puts explicitly in the audience's mind this this idea of narration and what is going to happen here like robert is i think it's fair to say a control freak who believes that like he can completely given the right tools and given the right space he can change not only an identity but he can change a story because this is ultimately or not ultimately but a major part of it is that this is a story about a wife who left him both in terms of like was unfaithful to him and then who killed herself after her accident and he's never gotten over this and he wants to be in charge of that story he wants to be the author of that story and Marilia is saying to him like if you do this, it is going to end in tears, uh, and he and he completely refuses that. So uh, that I just thought that that was an interesting idea that like uh, we're told this very jumbled, out of order story, but we're also told explicitly by a character stories repeat themselves. And I wonder then because our the movie ends in a very um, elliptical fashion. I would say like v Vicente kills Robert and Marilia and escapes. Uh, captivity, or Vera, Vera, I should say, and returns to the shop that his mother owns and reveals to his mother and his friend who work there that uh, the last lines, as we said, I'm Vicente, said in a whisper, and that's the end of the movie. And so I wonder then, with this idea that stories repeat themselves in mind, like, does that hold true for Vicente? I mean, obviously, you would think that somebody who's been under such extreme physical and neurological trauma over the course of this movie 
will not at all be the same person they were before. But I don't know. Like, it it does seem like it could be the the end of a story, like the end of a cycle of okay. of violence and horribleness. Because Marilia, in re- revealing that Zeka and Robert are both her children, she she holds her, you know, she puts her hand on her uterus, I guess, like you know, you know, on her on her abdomen, and talks about. Basically, she says she has like evil DNA, right? And that no matter what child could have possibly come out of her, whether they were raised in this absolute affluence like Robert was, or raised in foster care and with nothing to his name, both of these people became some form of monster so there does seem to be this this whole story of genetics and repeating cycles and i mean we see norma kills herself the same way that gal did right i don't know if it answers any questions really or if it just kind of puts it out there that sometimes stories repeat themselves because just that's how nature works and that's how you know that's how the replication of the species works and sometimes it's more about seeing something and and you end up transformed into whatever it is that you're exposed to just by the nature of being exposed to it like like with norma suicide killing herself in the exact same way right i, I guess at the end you know i guess the... you can maybe speculate as to what vicente is going to do and i mean i don't with... think we even need to do that like the movie ends like that's it there's no so the whole Ledgard family all branches of it now are completely eradicated they've all wiped each other out through you know whatever means of of monstrousness that have been created but there is still this kind of one lingering daughter wife (laughs) progeny this this last creation of the family is still out there and, and may still spread something or with the only way to make a story not repeat itself is through significant horrifying trauma what a positive note to end on but i mean like the movie's not trying to be the movie's not trying to be happy in any regard and so no but i mean it does have a something of a morality in that nobody goes unpunished right i mean marilia is i don't know why she's the first person i go to but i mean she's implicit in everything that's happened if she is the alfred pennyworth you know she never stopped batman (laughs) and she didn't hold him accountable all she just kind of stood back and said this is gonna go badly but never actively did anything and and she actively campaigns like there's the moment where she's watching on the surveillance cameras as robert comes in uh while zeka and uh like while zeka uh has sort of like is in the process of or i guess just finished raping um vera and she's looking right at the screen and says kill them kill them both right like she wants vera to die she's agitating to kill vera right from the get-go right and she's not necessarily wrong from a practicality standpoint like everything will go smoother if you can get rid of this loose end like you've done what you needed to do Mm -hmm. and now you know your own emotions have kind of clouded this whole this whole situation but I mean, she's implicit in everything that happens. Oh, yeah. Zeka is a monster and is killed appropriately. Robert is scientific genius, but who does not go about seeking punishment in humane ways. You know, he crosses all sorts of lines and ends up being killed for it. Like, nobody survives. Mm-hmm. And the only one who does is Vicente, who is certainly not unpunished for, for what he did. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it is asking these questions for sure that that you've raised throughout this this episode, 
who is in the right? Is there a sort of like limit point by which you can say beyond this point, that is too much punishment or, or retribution or what have you? But I don't think it has, and I don't think it's looking for the answers. Like, I don't think it wants to espouse an agenda or a project. No, I think if anything, it's it's suggesting that it's incredibly dangerous to start testing the limits of where they are because you can always push yourself further and you can always become more of a monster than you were in the first place. And you can end up in a position that, that you had no idea that that's where you were going to go where you, when you started. So just don't don't start. Don't become a mad scientist uh, skin transplant expert. Preferably, if, if you can avoid if, it. If you can avoid it. I mean, you there know, are, there are certain pitfalls that <laughs> make it a. If you're if you've come this far, then I guess you know there's not much you you can do to change it, but try to avoid it. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of exhausted from that conversation. So yeah. if it's all right, we can start wrapping it up. Absolutely. The way that we'll do so, as always, is by assigning this movie a rating out of five stars according to the official Netflix criteria. So one star means you hated it. Two stars means didn't like it. Three stars means liked it. Four stars really liked it, and five stars means you loved it. As well, I want to hear your MVP. Uh, so whoever you think really, really either encapsulated what this movie was supposed to be or really shines even brighter than everybody else. So uh, guess first. Let's hear it. I'm going to have to, for in, uh, for rating, I'm going to say four stars. I think it's a, a an incredibly well-acted, well-shot, intriguing movie, but I think it is so calculated and in a way so cold in its disposition, in the way it tells its story, in the way it creates and manipulates, that is to say moves around its characters, that I don't, I, I, I wouldn't say I loved the movie. I think it's an excellent movie and I would recommend it to anybody, but I, I would say at most I really, really enjoyed it. So I'm going to say four stars. And uh, who's your MVP? Uh, MVP has to be Vera Cruz, played by, if I could get that actress's name one more time. Elena Anaya. Elena Anaya. I think she's amazing, especially because from the I tried not to do any reading up on this movie, but one thing I did read was that initially the, the role of Vera was to be played by Penelope Cruz, um, but she couldn't do it at the time she was pregnant with uh, her child. So Elena Anaya was kind of second choice. I think she's amazing in this role. She is able to convey so much through body language and through um, facial expression. She doesn't have that much dialogue. And as I do not speak Spanish and rely very heavily on the subtitles, so I'm not often looking at the character, uh, but rather at the bottom of the screen, I think that Elena Anaya was able to do so much with very little dialogue and just the way that she uses her body, uh, the way that the character who is basically not supposed to be in this body or this is not their initial body inhabits that role, I think is brought to life and is made to be. That's where the movie becomes most affective for me, where it affects me most is in seeing how the actress portrays this role of this extremely traumatized character. So she would be, I mean, Antonio Banderas does a great job, but I think uh, this movie lives and dies on how Elena Anaya plays Vera. And and so that's my pick for MVP. Perfect. Um, for me, also a four-star movie. Uh, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I'll, I'll recommend this movie to anybody who I think could handle it. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know how much I would get from a second viewing. I don't want to say that this falls into like the M9 Shyamalan camp of like, once you know the twist, it's, <laughs> it's all over. But so much of my, I'll put quotes around the word enjoyment, but enjoyment of it mm -hmm. was the, 
like the the shock of what I was seeing, but it never feeling gratuitous. Like right. this revelation, I guess, is what we've decided to call it, not a twist, but you know that that affected me. It it made me horrified, which is what makes this a horror movie for me. Right. You know, it it was like no, no, this isn't possibly. Why is that? What he would possibly do? Like there was, my brain just couldn't handle it. So I really. I loved the experience of watching it the first time. I'll never be able to reclaim it exactly as it was. But, right. But four stars, it didn't have a lot of emotional resonance for me aside from aside from that narrative experience. So uh, four stars, I'll absolutely recommend it, but but not quite a not quite a favorite of all time. Right. And then Elena Anaya is my MVP as well. Very much for similar reasons as sorry to be drawing this comparison, but I mean I had a, an extensive conversation about Ex Machina. But very much for the same reasons I chose Alicia Vikander for Ex Machina, for creating this character, this person who gives the camera these hints of what's going on internally, but never giving everything away and letting you believe that anything that you imagine could be true inside of this character's mind. You know, not really knowing what she's up to, not really even understanding who she is, but evoking that sympathy that we've been talking about so long um and it's a really physical role oh oh, absolutely yeah very physical um you know from the yoga to the you know running away and like the the whole throat slitting scene which we didn't get into yeah (laughs) at all you know her attempted escape into into death that uh that dr robert just he's just at a point that he doesn't want anyone to die unless it's on his terms yeah and then her ability to kind of play off dr robert's desire for companionship and turning into this very penelope cruz looking trophy wife right almost at the end and but then you still believe that it's vicente once you find out that it's 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 incredible uh, really the, i just to add to that i think the the facial acting that uh elena and i does in the final scene where she goes back to the shop and she's talking to her friend, Christiane, I think her name is, and just sort of explaining, like, even though she's a totally different looking person, she's the same person and is going through the memories. Uh, and and the way, again, like, you have the story being told uh, in the dialogue, but the way that Elena Anaya is just sort of, her eyes are laser focused on this character. It's just, It's incredible. It's such a great acting job. And especially... Not that I'm trying to get the last word here, but especially considering this is when Vera, I guess, at this point is as dolled up and as right. feminized as we've ever seen her. You know, she's wearing a dress. She's wearing a dress. Her Tons hair is all coiffed. She's got her makeup on. And that's the point that Elena Anaya is Vicente. Yes. Despite having all of the dressings of of femininity. It's it's incredible. I would like Damn. yeah, I would say even if the 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 plot sounds weird or something you may not want to see. Like if you're not going to be uncomfortable with it, watch it for Elena Anaya's performance. Cause it's incredible. Sure. All right. So uh, yeah, very similar, very similar responses. All right, Riley. Well, I'm really grateful for you coming on. Uh, thank um, you very much for having me. I would like to leave the, uh, the platform open right now for you to tell people about what you do and your, your project. Oh, sure. I mean, just very briefly, um, I, along with my friend and colleague, Tom Stewart, do a podcast hammer time which dylan has already described very uh effectively at the beginning of the show but we go through the back catalog of the hammer um production movies uh just the horror movies and the thrillers not the robin hood weird stuff but um 
Yeah, we, we because that's the weird stuff. Yeah, that's a bridge too far for for me and Tom. We just like to uh, see what this very sort of iconic horror style um, from the UK from the 1950s to the 1970s how it works, if it still works, what's effective about it, what isn't effective about it. So if we ever get off hiatus, uh, yeah, I would recommend uh, giving us a listen. We're at we're on SoundCloud, uh, SoundCloud.com slash Hammer Time Podcast, I believe. We're on Twitter. Um, I'm pretty sure it's at Hammer Time Cast, and I am also on Twitter. And you can read my extremely insightful 140 character occasional posts about the 2016 election. Uh, I'm at Riley underscore R underscore M. Right on, and I'll be sure to include links to all the Hammer Time Horror, all the all the social media pages, and, oh, and to the iTunes page and everything as well, because it's it's a great show. I. Actually, originally started listening to it as a kind of, you know, polite courtesy that hey, this is from this is from London, and every time a, a new episode would drop, I was like, yes. Well, that's going to be everything for this week from the Netflix podcast. If you liked what you heard today, why not head over to netflixblog.wordpress.com to check out the rest of the Netflix content, like show notes, articles, and reviews. You can also find us on all sorts of social media platforms. We're on Facebook as Netflix. We're on Twitter at NetflixPod, where you can also find me at Dylan Clark Moore. And we're on Tumblr and SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. You can also find me on Letterboxd as Dylan Clark Moore. That's the uh, online movie diary site that I absolutely love and apparently need to stumble over every time I talk about it. But it's also the only place where you can see a list of all of the upcoming episodes that we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. If you'd like to support the show, there are a few ways that you can do so. The most important is just by telling people about podcasting and about this podcast and Hammer Time Horror, because really they're going to trust the opinions of their friends more than they're going to trust the opinions of strangers on the internet. But if you do want to let strangers on the internet know how you feel about it, you can go to iTunes or whichever podcast platform you subscribe to and leave a rating and a review. Uh, The more five-star ratings that we get, or four-star, I don't know, it's all a mystery. We didn't give out five stars, so... People pretend that they know how this whole thing works, but I don't even know if Apple really knows how this thing works. But my understanding is that if you leave a rating and a positive review, that that helps uh, more people find us. So so consider doing that. You can also contribute directly to Netflix by way of our Patreon campaign, whether it's for the rewards or if you just want to see us keep doing what we're doing, you can pledge your support at patreon.com. The Netflix podcast is, as always, produced and edited by moi, Dylan Clark Moore, and the theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Thank you very much, and I mean that very sincerely, for listening to this week's episode of the Netflix Podcast, and be sure to join me here next week for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, you ain't streamed nothing yet. Mm-hmm.